0: I think that there's a um i don't know a, a malaise an angst a rumbling
1: yeah yeah i know there's something it's uh you guys have probably had a well more smoke than usual down there i guess eh?
0: Mhm. it's eased in the last uh eased in the last few days
1: mm. that is a contributing factor for sure i've mm-hmm. never seen anything like This year in Kelowna, as far as air quality is concerned, like Mm -hmm. we had the worst air quality in the world there for at least one day, Mm -hmm. worse than Shanghai. Yeah, and uh, that is part of it. There's something about like going to work and the sun is not the right
0: color. The smoke, and I mean, and I want to. I think we can talk about the the fires too, but the the air quality definitely has an effect Mm -hmm. and um like i've i've been to india and and that's what it best reminds me of is how Uh. how thick and and boggy the air is there and how it affects your energy Mm -hmm. if you know and as a traveler it's one thing because you're excited to be traveling and be in a different spot but if you lived in that Mm -hmm. uh all the time and i mean that's Mm -hmm. not just fire smoke that's like a <laughs> factory smoke uh, exhaust smoke but it does it has an effect for sure for sure
1: welcome everybody to a recovery machine my name's nathan joined as always by your co-host Corey, how are you doing, Corey?
0: Hey, I'm pretty good. I'm happy to see you, happy to be doing another episode. It's been uh, quite a while. I don't even know. I don't even know, but quite some time.
1: This is the longest layoff we have had by far, I believe. Oh, yeah. uh, And it's not for a lack of trying to line something up, but uh, more due to factors beyond our control, such as forest fires and uh illness and etc cetera, etc. Cetera. Yeah. So yeah.
0: Before we get to that, how are you doing? A complicated uh, question for you. How are you doing? <laughs>
1: doing? I I'm not doing great. I uh, uh I physically I, I don't feel very very good. I'm uh the way everything kind of happened here uh I'm not sure how familiar, well, Corey, you know what, you've been watching the forest fire situation here in in BC, but if people don't know, we've been having, Canada has been having the worst, I think this is the worst forest fire season that we've ever had, but uh, BC in particular has been uh, hit by several different fires, and one of them chased me and my family out of our place here in Wilden, Kelowna, so we were evacuated by that one and that was a uh, that was an interesting experience just because I've got, I've you know over the years I've been kind of I've had opportunities to watch forest fires and uh, from a distance and uh, sometimes closer than I'd like to be but this one was strange in that we were ultra prepared in that everything was ready to go like the vehicles were gassed up the you know we had all our our go bags and everything sitting there but I, I still didn't expect to be evacuated anytime soon i mean i was i was literally sitting down here on the computer trying you know I'm, I'm looking at uh wind patterns and you know watching this fire on the other side of the lake because it was it was basically the west colona fire that we were worried about because it was moving fast and it was throwing embers and
0: you were at a meeting with me that, <clears throat> that evening
1: yes yeah so it wasn't long after that uh probably a couple hours after that and that That fire jumped the lake and then I don't know what the distance is from here, a couple kilometers, I guess, from the lake to where I am, but it did that so fast that normally you get like a a text warning on your phone that you're in, you're being evacuated. It was faster than it was faster than the online services could keep up with. And like I said, I'm 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 down here on the computer watching this thing and our neighbor comes over and just basically like knocks on the door and points and he said, Look, like the whole hillside is on fire and it's just you know, it's heading our way and I I couldn't oh believe God. it. So I went out and I looked like holy crap, this is like it made it all that way in such a short period of time. So wow. Um, yeah, we're like the second to uh, second people, I think, out of here and uh and then yeah, for sure we thought like I thought this side of Glenmore was going to go like, I had it. it didn't appear to be, you know, what's going to stop it. Right. It's the mm-hmm. wind is in its favor and it's got lots of fuel and everything, but the wind did change. And, uh, the forest fires, uh, the firefighters, uh, did an excellent job of stopping it before it got any structure. So pe- some people, their, their lawns were burnt, but not their house. Like that's how, holy shit. that's how close it got here. But it did put us on evac, so we were couch surfing for a, a little over a week, which was—I uh, mean, we we had some really generous friends who, uh, like Tom and Sue's, uh, put us up in their Airbnb for a little while, and uh, Stan and Leanne, some uh, friends of Colleen's, are they—they put us up for a couple of days, and uh, so it was—you know—a little bit just kind of logistically difficult, but I think we had a pretty good time of it there. And then of course, you know, I've also got, um, people that I care about in a, a, a rental place there in Lee Creek that was same situation, you know, fire right on the back door. And I still don't know exactly what's going on there, but, um, so that kind of stuff was, uh, you know, stressful or whatever. And then dealing with the smoke and, and we had, uh, you know, for from a logistics point of view with the pharmacy trying to like trying to facilitate getting medications to people in shelters. Uh, you know, halfway through one day the shelters just got evacuated to Penticton. So, you know, you're you're calling back all your deliveries, you're reversing uh prescriptions and transferring to, you know, on a on scales that I've never seen before. And so that was uh you know, a lot of weird, uh, logistic stuff there. And then, uh, Colleen must have, uh, Colleen picked up COVID towards the end of it. And then just as we got home, I got COVID and, uh, this is my first bout of it. And, um, it's, uh, it's annoying. That's, (laughs) it's just, uh, it lingers. It's, it's, it's weird. It's, um, I don't know the way it, it's affected my energy it's affected my cognition it's i don't know have you have you had covid
0: yeah i have yeah and uh but i didn't have it amidst the worst air quality in in the world at the time mm. either and mm. and that you know that can't be understated I, I i don't think like um i had it under normal conditions and it hit me hard and it flattened me for a couple of days but But, um, I mean, what we know is people with compromised Mm -hmm. respiratory systems are, are hit were particularly, you know, a couple of years ago were hit hardest by, by it. And, and anyone who's breathing in the level of particulate matter and poor air quality that, that you guys up in Kelowna have had to breathe in your respiratory system is under a state of compromise. I would say, even if you have a healthy set of lungs, it's not optimal. Mm Mm-hmm
1: yeah for sure no it's just a weird thing to go from previously Like just uh, a month ago my physical fitness level was you know, pretty pretty decent like my, yeah. my my cardio was solid and and uh i mean i haven't i haven't done any training in like two weeks now i think just uh sort of logistically because we're uh you know moving around and stuff but also you know like outdoor activities when it's that smoky. It's like, am I doing myself any good here by running through this? <laughs> you know. Yeah. Whatever yeah. this smoke is. I don't know.
0: Can I ask you a couple of questions about just to take a little step back about going back to the evacuation? Mm. Because I think it kind of ties in with with some of the things we wanted to talk about today. First of all, like I I as a as a homeowner and you know having My family is pretty close by and just thinking, it got me thinking about what if I had to do that? What if I had to, at a moment's notice, leave my place, um, and get my things and worry about my family and just all the, all the things that must come into your mind. First of all, what was, what, what did that moment where you had to leave? What did it feel like? Did it feel scary or anxiety producing, or was it just like adrenaline? What was that like?
1: I guess. I've been preparing for this type of stuff for a long time. Like I'm i I'm somewhat of a prepper. Like I've, you know, I've, I've kept a, a fairly detailed, like I, I'm always ready <laughs> basically for, you know, ver- like various the civil unrest is, a, you know, one of the higher likely ones, but forest fire stuff like that, those kind of evacuations, I, I'm just always prepared for it because it's just, the writing has been on the wall for a long time. I mean, I don't, (laughs) I don't know what to tell you if you're not expecting more of this, but, uh, uh, you know, it would, it would be nice if, uh, if somehow we were going to get out of this, uh, these kinds of weather patterns and in increased wild weather, uh, without these types of situations. But I just, I don't see it personally. I mean, I, I've been watching, watching the numbers for a long time and it's basically doing exactly what, what, uh, one would predict based on uh the data that we've been collecting so uh it wasn't i think the um because i'm used to just taking care of myself uh, for the most part like i it's you know it's usually just me and my dog and and uh i don't get to because i i think there's a part of me that's kept that that freedom on purpose uh certainly with kids like I, there's a you know i've I made a conscious decision a long time ago that I, I just, I didn't want the responsibility of kids for several different reasons. But one of them was, I just didn't like the, the way things were (laughs) trending uh, globally. So uh, I, I guess because I've kept myself relatively prepared and, and in a a position to move around quickly uh, it, it's, it wasn't, um, it it wasn't a lot of uh, like, there was no panic or anything. And then, because Colleen is so level-headed, she's so intelligent, she's I mean she this uh I mean she was an emergency doc in uh South Africa for God's sake. This is you know, this is nothing for her like this. yeah, <laughs> no big deal at all. Uh so she, you know, tends to to stay calm and uh you know, her her kids were I think I, I was I was shocked because I I couldn't believe that we were in that imminent danger that quickly. So, and then just seeing the kids reaction, like uh, hearing uh, uh, Colleen's daughter say, like, I'm scared, I'm scared. And, you know, like, and then the, the kind of, just the visceral reality of being like, huh, like, this is, I don't know for sure what's going to happen here. And we'd, we'd planned to, because uh, my primary, the first thing I try to do is get away from where I think people are going to be, and so we planned a route that would take us out of Kelowna to a lower density area because people are generally the problem, and that is what happened here in Glenmore. Is um, people started showing up to watch the fire, and they ended up blocking the highway. So
0: it's yeah. like, yeah,
1: it's it's just when you get the bigger, the, the, the bigger, the event, the more people accumulate and then this mentality sets in and people become the real, like, that's what I'm actually more concerned with usually is a, Mm
0: -hmm.
1: is, is people in large groups doing dumb things. So I was happy with uh, kind of the way we planned ahead of that. And we were like the second ones out of here. And then we were able to get to the other side of the city and be looking back down. And that was, so we got some elevation. We were on uh, like the Highway 33 side, which is east of Kelowna, and we just stopped. We had both the vehicles and uh, got out and looked back down. And it West Kelowna looked like uh, it looked like a volcano had erupted and was just pour, pouring fire down the side of the mountain. Then you could see wow. where it had crossed over, and <clears> then <throat> you could see all the firefighting activity where we'd left, and all the people, uh, like all the lights of people parked, and you know, it just it. it yeah, it uh, looked like a looked like a war zone.
0: Unbelievable, unbelievable. Yeah, and then because of your job and your partner's job, you both you both kept working. Well, what yeah. Was it like, what was it like to, given what we've talked about so many times about, like, just our interactions with our jobs, interactions with the public, um, the the stress of the of the daily grind um Mm. and then throwing this uncertainty about your own home and you know where you're going to go and and uncertainty about where you're going to stay and then people's i I know what the public can be like in those moments too that can present some some challenges what was that like on a day-to-day working uh well i i ended up having
1: to take uh like i took some time off because i I didn't want to, like, I, I everyone that I had worked with, I, I had spoken to them about uh, what their status was with COVID and everything, and uh, everyone had had it. Uh, so I, I just waited until, like, I was, I was, you know, not testing uh, positive before. But I still like, I mean, I, I don't know, like, how long it's going to take. Maybe what am I on here? Maybe day ten or. It's gotta be close to two weeks. Or maybe no day ten is probably closer to it. But anyway. Um it was uh so I think normally it would have been it it was very stressful, Corey. It was very stressful. How about that? (laughs) That's fair. Uh, Yeah. Uh to the point where uh um because everyone is stressed, right? And uh you know the people that we that we service there were being displaced they many of them have respiratory issues and are not in great shape so you know they're they're trying to stay sheltered and there are like some of the shelters do have pretty good air conditioners and stuff so that helps somewhat but i think the staff in those facilities you know everyone's just feeling that extra kind of intensity and so you're getting more people kicked out uh because i think the people are working there are just on edge and they're tolerating less and so yeah. you're getting more people losing services and then uh you, you get people who are just wandering around the streets basically coughing their brains out for three days in the smoke right mm-hmm. um and then yeah having the having to move uh multiple shelters like uh that must have been. I, I can't imagine what that was like for the uh, f- the facilities themselves. It was a logistical nightmare on our end for sure. Uh, and I just found that. And then when you're not feeling too good, too, like I, it's interesting how I try to be a, I try to be compassionate and I try to have patience and, and I try to be tolerant. And man, does that go out the window quickly when I. Like the worse I feel, the harder it is for me to give a fuck. You know, I start yeah. getting to where I'm like, and then I start seeing things like the last, that's the other thing I've I've noticed since all this has happened is my, my attitude has, has really, uh, nosedived. And I, I, you know, regardless of how I feel, I, I'm going to have to do something about that because it's, it's really starting to, I think it's all kind of piling up, you know? Mm-hmm. And it's, uh, it's just, I, I see this, I see everything that's happening. So I see the people in the store and I look and I I see what, you know, I'm watching the numbers and I'm, you know, listening to, you know, here's another guy that was here yesterday and he's now he's dead. And here's another, and, and I'm, I'm, you know, doing the calculations on, you know, forecasting this current methods that we're using right now and trying to extrapolate what it's going to look like. And in the next three years, we're getting a big, uh, they're going to dump $6 billion in here. We're going to go into the next three years, uh, $6 billion more into BC's um, healthcare system, uh, which is fine. It's a good thing to do. So we're going to be running a deficit. But the problem is I just, I look at it and I think it's not going to work. <laughs> it's not going to work like this. It can't. It just, we might be saving the odd life, but we're not even if we brought this system up to 100% it will break the province financially before it does anything to to actually stop the the problem that we've got going on here so mm. there's that and then yeah when it's when everything is on fire i think it just kind of adds to my my kind of perspective and i you know look i i could be wrong here i did, and and who knows what what will actually happen here in the next twenty to thirty years? But I I just I you know my whole life I've 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 kind of watched what the the climate change panels have done, and and I you know I I go through their reports every time they come out, and and who knows you know uh, you never know what to trust anymore. But every one of their reports that I've that I've read has basically come true or been more it's they've actually been more conservative with, uh, with their prediction model. So, um, which could also be, I mean, that could just be by chance, but it doesn't look good. So I, I I guess when I, when I look at all these factors and I, I look at my life and I when I'm feeling like shit. I think to myself, what the fuck? are we doing like, what, what is the point of this, you know? And, uh, it's easy to kind of get going down that, that kind of a road, I, I, I guess.
0: Yeah. That's the, that's the old voice that we've talked about so many times. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And I mean, I, it, I, I would, um, I would say that the conditions were pretty ideal for that voice to, <laughs> to come back in. <laughs> and they have for me too, in the last couple of weeks without having gone through what you have been through, which, which was, uh, I know that you'll probably describe, you, I know that you probably wouldn't describe it as a trauma, but like a pretty disruptive, uh, uncertain freaky thing to have to go through. But, you know, for me, one of the, it's not only the, the presence of that negative voice that is a problem, but it's then my other voice that criticizes me for allowing that voice in. (laughs) You know, that's some of the cascade that can happen is that, that we, uh, I think quite understandably there's negativity there, or there's like a feeling of hopelessness or angst. And angst was one of the words that I wrote down to, to talk about today. And is that angst warranted or what can we do about it? But I think for me, the, the, it's always most problematic when I'm like, critical of myself and and when angst leads to hopelessness and yeah. that hopelessness i think comes from from criticizing myself for being filled with angst
1: yeah well i mean i guess we got to ask ourselves what we're getting out of feeling like you're you're experiencing angst or uncertainty about the future is a natural thing that humans have been experiencing since our, you know, since the dawn of time. Um, What are we, what are we getting out of that right now under these circumstances? Um, Experiencing angst, you know, I think there's great question. You know, can you see, go ahead, go go ahead.
0: (laughs) I was going to say, do you know the answer to that question?
1: Well, I I think there's an answer from an uh, evolutionary point of view. In that, you know, uh, anxiety, angst, anything that that maintains your attention, whether it's on a negative or a positive thing, it, it's usually a survival mechanism, right? Yeah. So, I mean, the people who were more anxious about the tigers that were lurking around in the forest uh, outside of the camp, as opposed to the, the people who were all relaxed and not worrying about it, um, the anxious ones probably survived and uh, passed on those genetics more often than not um so there you know it's just these under these circumstances where it's there's basically nothing we can do other than you know try to properly or you know process this kind of anxiety or angst in a healthy way so that we can be maybe of service to somebody who is not processing it in a in a healthy way and you know just to try to help other people out i guess i it's, uh, I don't know what, is there any value in it at this point or, or should we should just be doing our best to ignore it and not chastising ourselves for, for going down that road?
0: Well, I think, I think definitely for me, it's, it's harmful when I chastise myself for it. And I do, I do that. I was doing that this morning. <laughs> so it's, <laughs> it's, it's a, a regular thing for me and, and chastising myself for it is never helpful. It's more helpful if I talk about it and, and get to like the specifics of why I think you're right. When you, when you were talking about the roots of angst, um, that it's about like Mm self-protection and, um, or anxiety or uncertainty. So talking about it is most helpful. Ruminating in it alone is least helpful for sure.
1: Yeah, isn't that the truth, eh? It, it Yeah. That being alone and that was the other kind of interesting variable was that my partner and her kids had decided uh, a couple months ago that they were going to do a trip to uh, PEI. So the way it, it worked out was that it went when we basically as soon as we were allowed back in the house the airports opened and they decided they're going to take the trip cuz why not, right? You know, get out of this area, get some fresh air or whatever. Um, and that's all fine and good, but it, it basically put me here by myself with COVID dealing with like, you know, just kind of trying to keep shit in one piece and, and, you know, with, with next to no energy and, and, and then nobody to bounce any of these kind of thoughts off or whatever, or at least, you know, n- not using the resources I have properly very much like just isolating and uh you know trying to sleep it off and and then yeah it's it's funny how fast the mind starts to like spiral inwards yeah and uh then I'm like yeah no this is all bullshit what's the point fuck it and uh, I don't care I really don't care I'm I'm done with everything like mm-hmm. I'll just you know I I I know that I can't make a proper decision when I'm in that, you know, at least I've reached that level of understanding of myself where I can listen to that rhetoric and then not ignore it, but kind of be like, yes, I see that you're having a freak out here. Uh, but that doesn't mean that we're going to go out and change a whole bunch of things or Mm -hmm. make a bunch of big decisions because you're not thinking rationally right now. And that's, so at, at least I, at least I've got that going for me.
0: Yeah. You know, so this leads to, it leads to a, a brief, I'll just share a brief example of where I've been at. And then I'll pose this question that I posed to, to our group, our, our peer support group, because it, it's a, it's a conversation that kind of came out of your story with the, with the buyers and, and my experience. So I, I, um, you know, I've been working towards starting this new job and I'm starting this new course as well. At the same time, both are online and both require me to learn stuff on the computer that I haven't been, haven't ever done before. And, um, it's really putting myself out there again as a, not in the recovery community because I've become very comfortable and confident in the recovery community, but Mm -hmm. to be a professional again, outside of that community and just like, who am I now? Cause I'm not doing it as a nurse. I'm not mm-hmm. doing it as a, in a peer support context. I'm doing it as a, as a educator. Mm-hmm. So that's Which sort of a been, great
1: role for you. I think,
0: I th- yeah, I think it is too. And I think it'll be cool, but it's, it has created lots of self doubt and, and, uh, and some angst. Mm. Um, and so anyway, so over the last, you know, a couple of weeks ago, when, when the smoke was really at its worst down and all of the smoke from, from the interior of our province and had sort of comes down and settles in the, in the Valley where I live here. And, uh, certainly is not as bad as what you had up there, but it was pretty, pretty soupy, um, smoke. Mm-hmm. And so myself and my partner and my family took, uh, took five kids to the P to the, which for anyone who's a. In the United States, or listening elsewhere, that's like the the Pacific National Exhibition. It's a big fair in Vancouver, and we took five kids, all under the age of nine, um, one being a my baby, all hmm. to this fair on a day where the smoke was it was settling down in Vancouver, and it's a suicide already, mission. It, it kind of was. Well, it, you know, air quality wise, for sure. And I had already told myself that I wasn't into it and I didn't really want to go. Like, it wasn't my idea of a great time, but I, obviously I understand why it was for the kids and I knew, and I have great memories of doing that as a kid. So there was a part of me that rationally knew this is a, this would be a good thing for everybody and fun in Mm -hmm. all all likelihood. But there was a voice in me that was just like, just kill me. I do not (laughs) want to do this. Um, going into that, like, let's just get through this. And, uh, and I've been to, I've been to big events since COVID, but there haven't been, a, there haven't been that many, but I've been back to some hockey games and to some things like that, where there's a lot of people, but I I don't think I could name like a more overstimulating sensory wise, uh, situation than a big fair like that. Like, mm-hmm. it, it's like, it's just bombarding your senses. And, uh, we get in the gate and we got f- our five kids with us and we'd been there for like 10 minutes and I felt like I was being choked mm-hmm. all of a sudden we're standing there and I had, I had this five seconds where I, where my four-year-old just walked around behind me and I just lost sight of him for a couple seconds. No more than that. Mm-hmm. And, and i had already been feeling this angst in my body, already been feeling a bit anxious about the day. And all of a sudden it just felt like I've just, you know, someone just was, pushing on my chest or pushing on my throat. And like, oh my God, I can't breathe. Mm. Um, heart was racing. Uh, I felt, I felt like a dizziness as I looked at all these fucking rides that are spinning around (laughs) around (laughs) and, and, but was able to like, to my credit was able to recognize like, oh, I'm actually like feeling really anxious right in this second, Mm. um. Identified it quickly and within, within two minutes of that, I thought I've got to speak this or I'm going to screw this whole day up or like, um, just either like feel really shitty and internalize it for the day, uh, or like be an asshole to my family or free code and kill somebody (laughs) or something like that. Right. (laughs) So, so I, I shared it just kind of like, didn't make a big deal, but shared it with my partner, shared it with my sister They validated it. They were like, yeah, we get it. Like Mm. understandable. They also saw from a, a little bit further back that moment where I just for a second, couldn't see my son and I was like looking around, they saw that moment and validated that. And it was really amazing how, how that quieted that feeling of anxiety, like pretty quickly within 10 or 15 minutes, I felt better. It wasn't immediate, but like it just, it soothed it. It like pop that balloon. Hmm. And I haven't had that experience in a long time of like being out somewhere, being in a in a social situation or a, any kind of situation where it's just like whoa, it comes at me um and kind of kind of sneaks up on me.
1: Yeah. Yeah, it sounds like you were almost at the level there where you're going to have a panic attack.
0: It's it seemed like I was I was gearing towards that. Hmm. And 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 again, it comes back to our, what we were just saying about like the, the power of speaking it and and the power of reaching out and, and connecting with other people to help diffuse that. Um, for me, that really helps, but it made me ask the question. And I asked the question, I think the day after or two days after to our, our community, like has our capacity, does our capacity or anxiety or stress or stressful situations, has that changed? Has that changed while being off work, while going through the machine? Does does getting sober, quote unquote, does that change our capacity for stress and anxiety and and uncertainty and all of these other negative things? Mm -hmm. Were we able to cope better in substance use or having that? were we able to cope better? Was that just, a, uh, was that just our own sort of, um, uh, foggy perspective where we thought we were coping better? Were we actually coping better or cause you, you sometimes hear like the people who are real champions of recovery who, you know, oh my God, like, you know, things are so beautiful now. And I just appreciate all of these moments and everything's So <laughs> rosy and sweet. Um, and going back to the you know, the moment of the fair, I, I, I look back at the, all of the pictures that we took and I thought, what a, how cool that I, that my, my two little kids and their cousins were all there having a blast, just experiencing this sort of uh, pivotal memory of childhood. And I got to watch it. I was able to see and appreciate that. Mm-hmm. But in that moment, struggling to cope with that. Has our capacity changed?
1: Uh, yes, I think our capacity uh, is dynamic. And I think every one of those things that you mentioned changes our ability to tolerate stress. I think we start out with a, you know, a natural kind of genetic resilience that's then kind of either built up or or broken down by our early environment and uh, the family uh, dynamics that we grow up with and stuff like that. But I think yeah I have been thinking about the you know whether how drugs impact that in the long term in the short term and I know we've we've discussed how it's kind of how it worked for uh, how opiates specifically worked to our advantage in the short term to get through you know difficult shifts at work and stuff and um, I mean I what I found with that was that once I became a chronic user of opiates, then I I did kind of walk around with uh, like it, it was sort of like having a superpower for stress, but it still wasn't it, it, like that. That was not sustainable over time, and, and even that eventually, like maybe uh, when I first started, I I felt like I was almost completely invulnerable to to workplace stress for example and then after say a year of of using opiates chronically i felt like it was down to like maybe a, an 8 out of 10 where when i started it was maybe a 6 out of 10 type of thing so i was still getting enough of a benefit out of it to continue but it wasn't mm-hmm. like it was before and then when i stopped opiates it it was it was as if i was a like an infant again it like literally all my senses were just greatly exaggerated. Uh, I, I was emotionally labile. I couldn't like, I, I had, I mean, maybe you, you, at first you would like, so when you're in, in acute withdrawal, you you have no stress tolerance at all, but let's say a month out, uh, I might've been at like a two out of 10. So I could like, I, I could handle very little on my own. Like if, if everything was going perfectly, I would still be not doing great. But if there was even the slightest hitch in, I would have like a, a full-blown meltdown. So yeah. there's there's a period of time where you can build your tolerance to life back up. You can build your tolerance to some environments back up. But I I also think that there's... And I've actually been thinking about this lately, and I, I, I almost wonder if you know these all these cases of PTSD that we're seeing, um, you know, th- thinking about. I, I think the the ER nurse is probably the, the or the, the the RCMP officer who's working like uh, you know anything to do with homicide uh, in particular, or uh, uh, veterans um, who you know who have fought in any war. I think there is um th- there's definitely some thresholds that once you cross you, you it seems very difficult or al- almost impossible to come back to your baseline as far as what your your normal you mm-hmm. know pre-drug or pre-experience uh tolerance ability to tolerate stress is so I I've kind of been <laughs> just lately wondering if if those systems, you know, is there any way to measure them? You know, we can we can see some stuff on functional MRIs with PTSD, but I don't know if it's possible to, I, I suspect it must be possible if you were really, if it was you dedicated your whole life to being in like slowly kind of uh, starting, like maybe go, go live in a monastery for a year, practice meditation or something, right? And then from the monastery, start venturing out and doing little mini exposures. And then, you know, over the next 20 to 40 years, you do this massive gradual rebuild of your uh, nervous system. Maybe if you did something like that, then it would be possible to, you know, kind of naturally weave your way back to a 10 out of 10 stress tolerance where you're dodging bullets and, and uh, you know, it's not bothering you at all. I don't know. It's.
0: Uh... You're 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 bringing up a really good point there. Like, uh, and bringing it back to what we know about the machine and about about healthcare workers who go off work or any kind of a professional who who gets in with substance use and then ends up getting sent off work and they're off work for a a period of time. And what we know is that period of time is an extended period of time and mm-hmm. and longer than they are told it will be and and longer than they want it to be. Yeah, But there's, to me, there's, there's for myself, there's such an atrophy that has happened. Oh God. Yeah. It's very uh, difficult. I mean, and, 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 and I guess, so what I wanted to ask myself, what I'm asking myself in this conversation right now is, is like, I was never asked like, what, what level of tolerance do I want to build to? Like, what is mm-hmm. my goal level of tolerance? My goal level of tolerance is certainly not to be back in the trauma room looking after trauma patients and, and you know, all of that stuff, Mm -hmm. obviously I, you know, I, I left that career, but that period of, of being off work and being isolated and living in a sense of shame, it isolates you further and it atrophies you further. And there isn't a, in order to get back to work. And that's why this whole, the whole gradual return to work thing is, is kind of bullshit Mm -hmm. because it, it, well, I didn't even do a gradual return to work. I I had to find my own work because I, I left. But if you are a nurse or a healthcare worker who stays on, you know, you do a two or six or eight week gradual return where your hours and shifts incrementally go up and they assume that your tolerance will be sufficient by the end of that. But if you, have to do it on my on your own <laughs> I slept and said on my own as I've had to do it on my own that mm-hmm. wanted to work I, there's no I, I'm looking for new looking for a new employer you can't say hey can I do a really slow gradual <laughs> startup as I as you've hired for me for this, for this job so I can build my tolerance you can't do that well you can I,
1: I've, I suppose I've, you can I've done it uh, many times actually since and uh I, I never went back full time again after, you know. Once I realized that that was just yeah. a, not a, a not a possibility, and I just I wrote that into the terms of uh, every, you know, every agreement uh, that I've that I've had since. And with this uh, last situation, I was I was very upfront with the uh, the owners of the store, and I wanted them to know exactly what they were getting into with me, and I wanted them to to understand where I was coming from and that I do have, you know, they're getting some value for their, for their money, but there's downsides to hiring me too. And, and, mm-hmm. uh, in that environment, in the environment I'm working right now, I, I, I had never been involved in a, in a place that was dealing with narcotics on that scale before. And I'd never, uh, worked directly directly, And almost entirely solely with that, uh, with the demographic uh, people who are, uh, you know, using drugs chronically or uh, who are living in shelters and stuff like that. So I told them that I was concerned and I said, this is, uh, I want you guys to, to know that I'm not going to, we're not going to use any of the normal, you know, BC Employment Act standard stuff i'm I'm telling you right now that I'm I'm basically waiving all those those rights and and because i'm I want you to understand that I'm going to try this at you know we three days a week was what we agreed on and and we can reevaluate it after a month. and if I think I can do it, then we can you know look at look at uh, adjusting what we want to do uh, from there. And if you guys feel that I'm an asset at that point, then we can, we can make the call. But I said, if you see anything where you, th- you feel like I'm not the right fit for this, don't, don't think that you're like, there's not going to be any probationary period or anything like that. Just tell me it's not working out and I will just simply go away. That's, you know, they're not going to be any kind of back and forth legal mm-hmm. nonsense. So, you know, I, and they were, they were happy with that, I think, because that, um, you know, really that gave them a good opportunity to, I mean, that's a genuine probationary period. <laughs> like there's no, there's no set recourse line or anything as far as, you know, if they wanted to get rid of me, they could still get rid of me. And I, I would just say, no, that's, that's fine. I, yeah, if I'm not a, I, you know, I want to be here to, it's a very you know it's a different position it's a complex position and both of you know it requires um <laughs> an ability to handle stress and logistics that is much different from a normal pharmacy and and so i i gave that was my kind of uh solution to to making sure that i wasn't taking on too much too fast but i agree with your like this situation like, uh, let's let's keep looking at ER nurses here because I when sure. I think ER nurses I think they' the they're the most salient example of of a situation that is just not working out like yeah. the, the, the fact that I mean when I was a couple of days ago I was just sitting here and I was thinking about how many nurses over the years I've seen turn to hydromorph on the job and I think to myself like what a bizarre workplace environment what a strange career that would put you in a position where you know i i would i would struggle to find a single person who would guess in their wildest dreams or nightmares that they were going to be a nurse and it was going to lead to them using IV or im or anything like you know injecting heidermar on the job oh my it's, God. it's just, it's just and and the fact that it it's so rampant and it it just it speaks volumes about the working conditions mm-hmm. so this this idea when uh we're talking about you know weakening one's uh resilience or whatever by by going off work and and uh the, for for anyone who's Who's got that? Who's had that problem, the addiction problem with, with hydromorph or anything else? I think a better solution would be: for, we can't have people off work for more than a year um, if they're going to stay in that field. I would say would be the first sure. stipulation, yeah. um, because the the stats after a year get bad, like uh, as far as mental health uh, and your even returning to work. The chance of you returning to work dramatically decreases after a year. Yeah, so. I think there needs to be uh, a set period of time where the focus is entirely on the the individual getting their ability to make a, a you know, to authentic, well-informed decision about whether or not they want to continue in the field, you know, and, and um, so that's going to, that would require some resources and some personal work and and uh, you know, probably talking to a counselor, a therapist, whatever, getting to the point where they could make that decision. And then, if you are going to continue, I think a real graduated, not like, oh, we're going to do uh, half shifts for four weeks and then you're back to you know a one point two or whatever, right? Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it would a real graduated where you start with like um, I don't know, half shifts, four hours. Just as a, because some of these people are going to like it, they're they're not going to be able to do it because of PTSD and stuff. So we're assuming we're ruling that out. So people who do want to continue, if they're going to go back and and uh, be in anything that resembles that same environment, then I think you have to start way way slower, and um, but but get them kind of um in in there in some capacity earlier. Mm -hmm. So maybe you'd want to get like a six month mark probably is, is good for most people just as a general, you know, from what I've seen. So once they've had some time to uh, collect themselves, then start, you know, going in, looking at different job options, or if you do want to go back to your, your same job, you know, just go in for a couple hours to identify, you know, start picking up on the, on the points of what, where were the, the triggers for stress where were the things that what were the things that broke me about this position? can they be uh remedied either through you know greater coping mechanisms that can be developed over time or is this something where I need to move entirely out of this field or out of this department or whatever I think that there, there needs to be a lot more time given to that that period of kind of uh examination so that we could avoid so I think that the biggest travesty besides the point that we have, this in the first place is mm-hmm. how many uh, relapses we have with uh, like how many round twos and round threes. Yeah. I mean, it just, it, I just, and close calls on those too, right? Like not just, mm-hmm. you know, like we both know people who have like hoarded uh, right up until their contract is, is done. And then they're not tested anymore than end up in, in the very same emergency ward that they're working in with a yeah. near death experience. Right. Yeah. So yeah. Yeah. I don't know. There's a, uh... and then looking at this budget that, uh, that BC's rolling out here three, well about a billion dollars over the next three years, I guess of it is for uh recruitment. It'll be basically mostly trying to get more nurses and then trying to keep doctors from running away with the new, uh, yeah, with the new agreement so I don't know if that'll be enough I it it's hard to just the, the way this money is used and the, when I see the 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 bang for the buck like they're putting out um over half a billion over the next three years for treatment beds but that equates to all that equates to is like 200 basically you're going to get 200 more beds in the province by the time you're done but it doesn't do anything to alleviate that that middle class pressure where it's still thirty thousand dollars for somebody to go to treatment for an inadequate amount of time um so the people who are like uh who don't have any money they'll be fine they might uh no, they're not fine they're in a shitty spot but they might be able to get into a bed sooner that's possible i still don't know maybe because most of these are going to be like at st paul's i think st paul's has 95 of them already claimed so so if you're in vancouver maybe you can get into a bed sooner but um the rest of them will probably be you know just given to uh different like providence uh providence Healthcare uh is involved in this deal as well and they're not exactly, (laughs) they don't exactly use their, their, uh, healthcare dollars wisely. So I, yeah, I don't, I don't know if that'll, uh, that'll make a difference, but more nurses would help. So let's, let's hope that some of that money does equal to more training and better facilities and really what, uh, nurses need more help, uh, just on the job as in, uh, you know, more colleagues, but they also need more, much more support in other capacities as well.
0: Yeah. And the system has made it so enticing.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. This is what blows my mind when I hear, I'm going to be a nurse. Like, oh, really? I see. Yeah. So you've decided to, uh, choose the path of pain. Like what, uh, what has made you th- conclude that that's, that's the way to go now, but. Uh,
0: you know, I, I, I've been just thinking about even before our conversation here today. And as we've continued talking, thinking about how the system of returning to work, and we can let's, we can continue to use the example of the ER nurse of, of myself, even that the system of being off work, the way that you are, the way that the, um, employers, the colleges, the unions, all of the, uh, the monitoring companies, all of the, the various tiers of the machine interact with the, with the, with the center point being the individual, it certainly creates a feeling of disempowerment, certainly creates a feeling of uncertainty and fear in, you know, that's a, a universal thing that we hear is sort of the, the fear and anxiety about, about reestablishing your career, re mm-hmm. reinventing your career in some cases, or just getting back into the general population of, of nurses Mm -hmm. and everything about it sort of moves away from the idea of radical Mm self-acceptance, radical self-acceptance being that you embrace all of these sides of yourself. You embrace the, your faults and the, the fuck ups and the things that are tough and, and grizzled about yourself. And they, it's like, well, no, you will get you back into a spot and no one will know about it and you'll be safe. And, uh, but you'll have to sneak away twice a month for pee tests while you're at work. And you might have to blow into a breathalyzer while you're at work in the bathroom. Uh, But we're going to, we'll keep it quiet and you'll, but if you, if you, if your mental health is slipping again, then we're going to think that you're going to relapse and we'll like all of those things. I think it creates such, it it, it generates the opposite of radical self-acceptance. And I think this time off work for me or having to reinvent my career in a new way, having to try to find work that is relevant or that where I can use, where I can extract some sort of value from a career that, that in my opinion, just sort of ended up in the trash bin Mm -hmm. and then be really careful about it. You know, new employers finding out about me and, and how I'm going to navigate that, that, that contributes to the, to the lack of confidence, to the lack of muscle building for coping with stress for resilience. And I mean, I think that the, the most, the most evident thing of the most evidence I have of of radical self-acceptance that I have done has been this podcast with you, where I've really leaned into what happened and who, who I am as a whole. Mm -hmm. And part of returning to work unless you're able to find like this really niche thing or create something completely unique for yourself is counters that. Mm-hmm. And what we're up against is the re- is, is overcoming that in some cases, denial of self or like the trying to keep things secret, trying to keep things contained, trying to keep our addictive behaviors contained, our anxiety contained, so I, I don't know. I'm. I, I. I guess I'm just sort of acknowledging that it. It deserves a. It deserves that acknowledgement, for what it is.
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, you took a. You. You took the hardest path, I think, in that it was the absolute correct path, and the one that required the most courage to turn your back on, on your career completely, especially you know given the way you had been treated and everything. And, Mm -hmm. and, uh, I, I just, I'll always love your story the most because of the way, because of the way you were being. So the way the the machine was processing you just as, as I would expect it to process you Mm -hmm. in every way, shape or form. And you were, you were very much, you know, at, at first being processed and allowing the process to happen. And then, There was a point where you just, you know, uh, it's like where, uh, you know, in the matrix when, uh, all those agents are shooting at Neo and he just puts up his hand and he's like, no, (laughs) and all the bullets stop and they all fall to the ground. That kind of a, like just a realization that the whole thing was not what it appeared to be and that it was all this, this entire construct was not going to serve you in any way shape or form and from that time i think it was a second or third meeting or whatever you had when you kind of laid it out for them and explained everything and they had to like reconvene to, <laughs> yeah. to re- readjust <laughs> and and they never recovered really from that like they for the whole rest of the um the the, the time when you were dealing with them they they just didn't know how to deal with somebody who was prepared to, to be accountable and uh, was prepared to do whatever was necessary to do the, the thing that led to the best path out. Mm-hmm. And um, so, I mean, I think, yes, there's, there's, there's always uh, some strength and resilience to be gained by the act of vulnerability itself. You know like what we're doing with this show or or like you know being open with your your past and stuff like that i think it, it always serves it has always served me much more than it's it's harmed me so there's an opportunity i think you if you would have continued to play the game and and stick in that that processing mode or whatever then it it, it just would have weakened you and weakened you and and eventually your uh you know, your, your tolerance, your belief in your own uh, ability to make a decision that makes sense for yourself. All those things would have been eroded along with your, you know, your tolerance to handle whatever you ended up with a desk job, or, you know, it just would have been a, the whole thing would have been a bad road, but because you turned at that time, I think you, you took that. And then that was an opportunity to start. You'd already done work on your own. You'd already taken the initiative but then you've really started to build a foundation upon which you were able to, you know, move out and away and now get into these other positions that
0: might've been too daunting otherwise. So, um, but I, 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 there's a part of me that feels, thank you for saying those things, but there's a part of me that does feel that, that it has eroded like that. I'm, I'm what I'm doing now. Uh, I'm starting from, uh, like, a, uh, a toddler's or elementary school students level of like, I feel like I'm really having to push a weight that's heavier than I can lift to, to get into this next bit of
1: my Beware life. the power of imposter syndrome. Mm. You know who you are. I mean, this is, yes, you're, you're going to, there's going to be some uh, challenges, you know, technical stuff that, uh, any new position requires you to, to learn. And usually it's, you know, your rate of learning for the first three months is going to be, you know, it's going to be a lot, but I think there'll be, you know, next year, looking back, you'll look at this and be like, Oh yeah, this is, you know, Mm -hmm. I got this. I I did have it. It's, you know, it was just, it was a a big change. And, and I, I mean, I feel like that, whatever, um, like, Anytime I start a new job, I've done I guess because I've made a point of like I, I I seek out new things to to challenge myself with. Um, so I'm very aware of the effects of imposter syndrome. And then I'm also aware that I mean, I'm not an I'm not a genius, but I'm not a like I'm a capable human being. I can learn and I know that it's gonna be difficult for a little while in, in in any new position, but if I'm open to learning and open to making uh asking questions and making a fool of myself or whatever it takes to get to that point where I'm competent, then it will come in time and and that just is the case over and over and over again. So I mean, you know, what's the worst that's gonna happen? Are you if you if you get into a position where it's like this new undertaking is, is too difficult, then I, I would say that there's something wrong with, uh, whoever's setting up the, uh, setting up the program because it, I mean, you should be in a position to, you know, kind of learn as you go and, and do your best
0: with it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Imagine though, if, 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 um, if I hadn't have left the profession And if for our, for our, you know, colleagues and friends that are still very much in, in limbo in the machine, waiting to see if they, if they're going to go back to their jobs or some version of their jobs, imagine if there was an ability to challenge them and include them. We've talked about this before so that, that as you are off work, uh, as you are working on your own recovery, a part of that was. Uh, maintaining or learning a new skill like learning an actual new skill uh getting challenged with a new skill
1: oh. um I I could not be more behind that idea if if I tried mm-hmm. I mean it's it's uh something that I've I've tried to like many times uh with obsidian uh I'd see members who be off work for just like time periods that would boggle your mind you know there's mm-hmm. like I, I, I had people who were like, "Oh, I've been off work for five years. Five years. What? Like, what is the game plan? I mean,
0: unbelievable.
1: Yeah. Why on earth would you? Like, what? What are you holding on to? What are you? What are you waiting for? What are you doing with your time? Like, I mean, if you've got." I you know obviously it's an excellent time if you've got the time off work and uh and uh, you're fortunate enough to to have the means to work on yourself and do the stuff that's required to figure out what went wrong with uh, you know if you did get into trouble with addiction or whatever that's great but yeah I mean there's just there's so many things you can learn for free right now online mm-hmm. like I mean it's just pick anything it doesn't have to even be a marketable just pick something you're interested in just to um just to keep your you know uh your mind working and uh and keep your confidence going yeah you
0: know i mean yeah i i I agree with you i think if i can think right now of within the first um well let's say let's say after i finished the outpatient rehab program which was uh like three or four months after I first went off work, I did that program. And if at that point, then I had of, ha, could have added one other thing to my life. I, I, I think I wish that I had have take started a course and mm. not worried about insurance, not worried about, um, workers compensation, anything like that. Like what would I, what could I have added to my recovery? It would have been then and two and a half years ago, mm-hmm. signing up for some sort of a course to start it then. Um, not just cause then I'd be further along in some sort of a career or I might have a God, I might have another degree at that point, but, but that, that muscle would have been exercised. My confidence would have been higher. Uh, even if I was, even if I took courses then and went into the exact same job that I'm about to start at, I would just feel that much more confident.
1: Right. Well, even if you like, if you could have uh, done a podcast, marketing, SEO, uh, uh, social media, advertising, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> all those positions we need. Damn it! <laughs> but uh, yeah, I hear what you're saying, and I agree completely. It uh, it just, I mean, it makes you more marketable. It keeps your because I think even what was this last stretch I took off? I think once you're, once it's been three months and you, you, you haven't like clocked in anywhere, uh, if you're not, if you don't have something going on, like your own business or some other endeavor, or even like, like this podcast, it's a lot of work, but it's, I think for both of us, it's meaningful work. It helps us kind of Um, sometimes organize our own thoughts around, you know, what our values and beliefs are definitely in this, within this subject material, but it's all these things kind of, uh, they keep you moving and they keep the mind engaged and, and they all drive towards purpose. And, Mm -hmm. you know, if you stop doing everything, it's, I don't know, for me, it's just, it's disastrous. I, I, I basically have to try to keep doing something
0: is, it, it has been a disservice to so many people that we know and uh and to myself included and, and I don't want to sound like a a victim in saying that like I, I've I'm so hard done by that I've been off work and being paid for it and stuff like that because <laughs> I'm very fortunate um yeah no we're but, both but very just lucky that, that part way. of it is is has not served me particularly well and there's things that I would do differently there's things that I wish that that the system um, that that would, in hindsight would actually save the system money.
1: Oh God, the things you could do. Like imagine if you, you've got a, a giant resource that's just sitting there and uh, these are people who have, uh, most of them now have lived experience with addiction. They are healthcare professionals. There's so many places where I could see those people kind of fitting back in, in a support capacity, you know, to, Mm -hmm. it's just, it's, it's just, it's such a needed thing. And it it makes a lot of sense to me to, to put money in that, uh, towards that direction, uh, unless, you know, some miracle happens and, uh, and our healthcare system takes a dramatic uptick and the the quality and working conditions get much, much better, um, Mm -hmm. And maybe they will over the this this next little spending spree here, but uh, I don't know. I don't know. There's lots that can be done with the resources we have that we're not doing, so Yeah.